when some hood nigga on TikTok says, oh, they got my boy Trump. I'm voting Trump now. <laughs> then they're like, we got the black vote. We got the black vote. Like the same demographic of people that would steal the stuff that you would complain about calling them degenerates. Now they want to vote Trump. And you're like, oh, they're great. They're wonderful now. <laughs> we love them. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong on that. No, you're really not wrong on that. I want to oh, Jesus. <laughs> I think that should be the show opener. That is going to be the show opener. My God. Welcome to the All-American Savage Show podcast with your host, John Burke, and his far more attractive co-host, me. Now, let's get into it. That's what your mom said. Welcome back to the All-American Savage Show podcast. I'm your host, John Burke. It is a beautiful Friday. Well, no, it's not beautiful down here in Dallas, Texas. It's a uh, it's a crappy kind of rainy day out. We're glad to have you here. And, uh, you know, again, the weather in Texas, we get to go. Like one day it's, uh, I'm not going to get in. I sound like an old dude right now. But I am very excited to have a very special guest on the show today. It's been almost, I want to say two years since he was on the show. Um, we got... Adam Coleman. And this gentleman right here, you, you came across my path because we were reading yesterday on the Mark Cuban issue on, uh, you know, his beef with Elon Musk and the DEI issue. And so I was pulling random articles to, to kind of go over this. And there was a New York Post article and I started reading it on the show and it was, bro, it was so eloquently written. And I'm like, number one is like, this dude's using a lot of big words. Like, but I love it. It's not like two, two above. And then I read the entire article on the show, and then I look at the author, and it's you. And I'm like, oh my god! It's like I have died. I need to. Talk, I need to bring him back on the show. So again, welcome back to the show, Adam. Don't forget to unmute your mic. I think you're still muted. <laughs> welcome back to the show, man. How are you? I'm doing great. And actually, I, I didn't realize it was like that. I thought you saw it was me, and you read it. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, because um, basically, it was the whole everything that was trending with in regards to the Cuban Elon Musk thing and DEI. Your article populated on the New York Post clicked on it, didn't know you wrote it until the very end. And I was just like, man, you, you nailed it. You hit it out of the park. Very well done on the DEI. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, actually, and that was, so I have a pretty good relationship with the New York Post now. So mm -hmm. sometimes they send me stuff mm -hmm. and ask me if I have a take and sometimes I pitch it. Mm -hmm. But when I saw the response from the commissioner, I was, it was like a light bulb that went off. It was yeah. like, well, yeah, of course this is unlawful. <laughs> I thought it was like hilarious. It was own. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious that Mark Cuban's going to sit there and argue with her over this. It's like, bro, you're, you're kind of out of your wheelhouse on this when your lawyers are probably like behind the scenes saying, you know what, Mark, maybe you should shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you did a very good uh, job with that. Thank you. No, I appreciate that. I really do. How, so 
we're going to get to the DEI stuff because I want to go over this article with you. I want to go over what you wrote about, why you feel the way you do on DEI, because I feel like, and I'm, I'm just going to say it, coming from a black guy, happy Black History Month, by the way. Thanks for the uh, <laughs> hip hop and everything else and high crime rates, you sons of, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's that kind of show, folks. It's that yeah. kind of show. No, you, you've got a lot going on for yourself and I want to, we got so much to cover here. But let's start with your fitness journey because you took it upon yourself. I've got a fitness background. How much weight have you lost and what inspired you to begin this, this healthy direction? So I have two answers for how much weight I lost. So initially, um, at, I would say at my peak, I lost, uh, was it 75 pounds? No, I'm sorry. 70 pounds, 70 pounds. I went from 275. No, I'm sorry. It was 75. I went from I'm 275. Sitting there eating Fritos to while I listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. Yeah. I had to. Go ahead. No, I went from 275 pounds to 200 pounds. Um, oh. And then right around that point was when, uh, you know, we talked about uh, me wanting to me getting the, the modeling gig. Mm -hmm. And that's when I was like, all right, I need to tone up. Mm -hmm. So I had to actually start eating more. Um, I realized that I was... I was under eating. Uh, a friend of mine helped me yep. to to realize that as well. Um, so I had to start eating more, and I was uh, started doing strictly like uh, weightlifting four or five times a week. And uh, and did I've you have any experience in the gym prior to that? The weightlifting because that's a very intimidating thing for a lot of people. Yes, um, my see my weight loss journey has been very weird throughout my life. I've Bro, lost a bunch the club, of weight. Join yeah. the club. <laughs> <laughs> Every single middle aged woman out there is going. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. Um, no, I've, I've lost a bunch of weight and I've gone back to the gym and I, and, and I, you know, I've gotten slightly bulky, but this is the first time that I actually had some guidance. Mm -hmm. Um, and my, and whereas before, you know, you, you gain some muscle because you're doing stuff, but it was just kind of aimless. Yeah. Whereas this time it, this has been very purposeful, uh, with the guidance of my, my friend David. Um, so like, for example, this is the strongest my core has ever been, mm -hmm. uh, because I'm it, everything is full body, uh, full body oriented. Um, and you're pushing forty, by the way. So anybody out there that's yeah. going to listen to this and say, "Well, you know, he's young," and you look young, but you're pushing. Yeah. You're my age. So when people want to try and you know, instantly, I think a lot of people will try and make an excuse as to why they can't. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're someone here that's lost that much weight, and you know, you're you're just like the rest of you. Ban, it's rubber banding sometimes because life kicks in. I get it. So, but there's yeah. really no excuse. There's no excuse. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and my wife also, we, we lost weight together. She, um, she wasn't as big as me or anything like that, but you know, she was able to give it back into her old clothes. I think at one point she was 25 pounds down, mm. um, and in a shorter period of time than me, and we were just eating, eating right. But the big thing was we were fasting together. Uh, we'd fast at the same time. Then we'd go to the gym at the same time. So it was, uh, it was very much so like a relationship kind of um, weight loss journey. Um, mm. And it was, I would say in a very short period of time when I truly understood intermittent fasting, I lost, I want to say it was something about 40 pounds in three months. Good like, Lord. Yeah. It, like it was just coming off um, incredibly fast. And that was in combination of eating clean, mm. um, working out, I would say about at that time, like three to four times a week. And uh, intermittent fasting, and over a period of time, I would do extended fast, uh, extended fast, you know, over 24 hours every so often. Um, Jeez, you know, because you just kind of get used to it, mm -hmm. and 
I think fasting is great because you learn to um, listen to yourself. Um, like, am I hungry or mm -hmm. am I just used to eating right now? Um, and the hunger comes in waves and not giving into the wave because you're actually okay. Mm. You know, your body's just used to eating at this particular time. So there's very much a, an understanding of control um, during that period. So it was, it was kind of interesting. And there's other benefits to fasting as well. Did you feel um, mental clarity when you did those fasts? Because I hear that often with a lot of people, even my fiance, she does, she used to do the fasting and she would talk about that, uh, you know, you, you'd feel like just mentally clear. Maybe it was somebody else I was reading for this for, but I've, I've heard that repeatedly numerous times from people that do the intermittent fasting, they say, or even fasting in general, like the juice cleanses, mm -hmm. they say it makes them able to see things more clearly. Did you feel that? So my wife has, has said that. Mm -hmm. It's, it's weird for me to answer. I would say yes, but the, I would say yes because I was losing weight so quickly and I feel like the switching my diet and losing weight all at the same time, um, I felt clarity just in general. Like I felt better all the way around, um, especially when it comes to stuff like writing. Mm -hmm. I realized like how, how long it took me before to write an article. And it's not like it before it took me forever, but I felt like I was able to think clearer and sharper and concentrate better. So whereas before like a New York Post article would take me uh, maybe four and a half, five hours, um, now it takes me two, two and a half hours. Like yeah. I, I can think sharper and clearer um, as I approach each article. That's so... What are you doing now? You said you're doing the eating clean, you're doing uh, weightlifting, yeah. and you're going four to five times a week. Mm -hmm. So prior to this, you were just talking about like you, you, you also landed a modeling gig as a result of this. <laughs> like you, you've literally, you, you said you can't talk a lot about this and I don't want to ruin anything for you, but yeah. I mean, you brought it up, so it's not my fault, but you, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here. It's like, I was in the fitness world for like five years. You like drop 40 pounds and boom, you got a modeling gig. It's like, dude, you <laughs> son of a, mm, mm. But congrats on that. Thank you. Yeah, uh, like I was saying, it was it was uh, the person. Uh, I can't say the person's name, but the person who started it, I I know them through Twitter, and um, I was joking with them. I was like, hey, if you ever need a model, let me know. And, and they sent me a message like, are you serious? I'm like, I'm serious. If you're serious, and then two days later, they sent me a contract. Yeah. Um, so I'll be taking photos next week uh, in Nashville. And then uh, I, I believe they're doing like a product release, like the, the company mm -hmm. announcement in March. And then that's yes. when my photos and everything will come out. It's good to see that they're diversifying in a sense of like, normally you'll see the models or it's, it's always to an extreme, especially with women. Yeah. You'll see women that are like literally just, they look anorexic slash bulimic and like, mm -hmm. That doesn't resonate with, I feel like, with the majority of women. When you see someone that's like a size one and you've got a woman that's, say, for example, she's a mother, she's working a full job, you know, she's not able to get into the gym, you know, seven times a week, whatever the case may be. So it seems like there's very unrealistic modeling expectations. But when you have someone that's like a normal person that's gone through a weight loss journey, that's trying to get in shape, it's nice yeah. to see them diversify saying, let's put them on a billboard. Let's put them in an ad to give people motivation. You know, it's, it's easy to sit there and showcase a dude that's jacked cocktails on all kinds of stuff versus someone that's legitimately doing it right, losing the weight on the journey. It's like you should put them up there more because that's inspiring. That's motivating. Yeah. And that's um, so a lot of my writings, whether it's weight loss, whether it's talking about stuff, getting over um, anxiety, things like that. You know, for me, it's 
it's therapeutic to talk about these things, mm -hmm. but I also realized that it can, it can help people to understand they're not alone in that situation. So I can't tell you how many people have reached out to me on the side and like, by the way, you inspired me to fast and I've lost 14 pounds. I've lost 30 pounds, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, awesome. Pay me. And we would talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, and we'll we'll talk more about it. And there, you know, so it's it's always cool to have someone say uh, you inspired them to do something. Mm -hmm. uh, and even if you weren't necessarily out to do that, yeah. um, you know, I just wanted to to kind of document what I was going through. And if somebody wanted to talk more about fasting and had questions about it or what I was doing, then I would talk to them about it. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of cool. That's awesome, man. Congratulations to you. You definitely deserve it. And, that's, and plus Thank the you. quality of life, it, it just, it goes through the roof. And I think people always go to an extreme comparison of saying like, you know, stay in shape. For me, the extreme comparison is like being back in the army and we're hitting 10 milers every other day. It's like, no, you don't have to go to that level. But I would suggest like every morning I'm in the gym. I'm not trying to get jacked. I'm not trying to get big. It's maintaining what you got. And it gives you a great quality of life. And I think people tend to forget that. Because as soon as they're out the gate wanting to start a new fitness journey, their comparisons are just, it's, 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 you're not going to be Michael Hearn in a matter of a month. And plus that dude's on a lot of gear. So it's like, you have to have <laughs> realistic expectations of like half of these dudes in the fitness industry. I wouldn't even say half. I'd say a good majority of them are on steroids. And the thing is like we talked about prior to the show, I don't care. I just don't lie to people about it. Don't give them unrealistic expectations. That young teenage kid looking at you wanting to be like you. And it's like, by the way, you're using steroids. And again, like I said, I don't care what these people do. You know, it's your body. I don't give a crap, but be honest about it. So it's nice to see people yeah. in your situation going out there and saying, no, I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape. I'm happier. I'm healthier. That's, that's awesome, dude. Congratulations to you on that. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Let's talk about DEI. Um, we've seen on the show, we talked about on the show previously with Mark Cuban, Elon Musk getting into it on Twitter, which Mark Cuban, I feel is a, a representation of kind of like the old school CEO that's, I shouldn't say old school, but a CEO that's kind of out of touch. Like you're very wealthy, you're very successful, but it does not mean you're smart and it doesn't mean you know what you're talking about. And I feel right. like on the Twitter webs, he got smoked by Elon. And then, you know, w weigh in on this. Where do you stand on that whole ordeal? And then we'll talk about DEI itself. So I kind of agree with you when it comes to the, the prototype that Mark is. Mark appears to me uh, to be one of those guys where uh, you know, it's that new hip trend that everybody's doing. And then all of a sudden, a new hip trend must be the way forward. So, you know, I see it as a competitive edge, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and he's doing everything he could possibly do to, to rationalize his decision, mm. right? When you have a guy, uh, my boy Rabbit, Rabbit Hole, completely oh, anonymous. He, oh, my God. He roasted him. Roasted right. him. Right. And he's going with this guy who's <laughs> a billionaire, is supposed to be this incredibly intelligent guy, and he's just using simple logic. Like, he's just he's just making sense. And he's like, well, what about in this case? What about in that case? And he's like, it's still bad. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to win this. I was talking about the show yesterday. It's like, Mark, it's like, you don't, you don't get to play these liberal tactics if you don't understand the depth that comes with them. Again, like the idea of... and. It's nice to see people finally waking up to DEI or let's just call it equal opportunity in the military. It's like 
there was a time where this was needed. Like you had Jim Crow era, you had massive levels of discrimination. Yes, it was needed. But I feel like we don't cross like black and white lines. Say, okay, now we don't need it. it, it there's like a, a blending period. And I feel like we've hit that blending period where now people are starting to look at it and say, how is it not discriminatory to favor somebody based upon their skin tone or their gender or their sexuality versus the merit of their, their actions? And people, I think, are starting to wake up to this and say, wait a minute, that is pretty discriminatory. And Mark Cuban, like he's learning that the hard way. Right. And they like to they like to spin it and say it's positive discrimination. It's like saying, mm. well, there's positive murder, you know, <laughs> it's like, well, we murdered the bad guy. Right. And it's like, well, <laughs> I mean, you gotta, gotta pull. <laughs> it's like, does it really? Bad? No. Yeah. yeah. I see what you're saying. Um, so th I, I think there's there's a lot of mental gymnastics uh, re rephrasing of words is very like leftist tactics to take a word that in, in a principle that used to mean something bad, but if you just change the application, you kind of reword it, give it a new definition, and then all mm. of a sudden it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, and and so that's why, like in the article, I was I was trying to express that the lesson was that discrimination is bad, not that discriminating against black people is only bad, but mm. that discrimination period is bad. And all of our laws, especially coming from the Civil Rights uh, Act, was talking about equal equal access, equal opportunity, equal, equal treatment, equal. That's it. And, and it, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, except for these or except for that. No, the, the problem was that there was inequality as far as treatment. And so we are making sure that everything is treated fairly on an equal playing field. Now, the outcomes are something different, but I, I kind of feel like the, by, by setting the standard as equal, over a period of time, our society has changed, our society has progressed, where seeing someone black or Hispanic or whatever in any given position was just going to be a natural occurrence over a period of time. If, if they were like, uh, well, to, to right the wrong of Jim Crow, we must artificially do these things immediately, I don't think, that, I don't think that's a good selling point, and I don't think that would work. Like, yeah, but if you consider the time, though, I mean, ugh, I don't know, man. I think about it from that era. Say, like, you're in the Jim Crow era, and they just overturned mm -hmm. it. What's What do you think would be the instinctual response to, well, in order to right this wrong, I feel like what they should have done back then, they did more so now in terms of kind of saying, we're going to start showing favoritism toward minorities that were previously discriminated against. I feel like if there was ever a time to do that, it should have been back then. Um, but instead it was just kind of like, it was reversed, but just like, you know, with the freeing of the slaves, it's like, it didn't mean they were just instantly free economically. Mm -hmm. They were at a severe disadvantage for many generations. So you can reverse something and it doesn't mean the world's now equal economically. There's a very big imbalance there, but it does feel like, okay, the conditions have been set to ensure that you will not be discriminated against. Otherwise you can seek lawsuits, ways of defending yourself against that. But it seems like it's gone, again, like I just uh, explained, opposite direction to where now white people are being discriminated against and not necessarily as if they're intentionally doing it, but through the idea of favoriting other people that are non-white. And it's like, well, then you're, exact, you're doing the exact same thing they were doing back Jim, during Jim Crow. It's just that now you're doing it towards whites or non-minorities. So 
and, and I don't disagree with anything you, you just said. Oh, I love hearing thing, that. I love hearing that so much. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I would add is, to me, the the civil rights movement, granted, I wasn't around then, but from, from my interpretation, the civil rights movement was focusing on the discrimination aspect and ridding discrimination and not necessarily trying to say we need to artificially change things because I don't think that would have been a good selling point. And I, and I kind of feel like um, human beings accept change slowly. Mm. And and if the immediate response was like, well, hey, listen, um, we couldn't do these things in the, in the South. So now the government needs to artificially prop up this and artificially do this, then it would have, especially I would imagine in an already tense uh, society, now you get favoritism you know, even if let's say even if they were getting favoritism before, but now you're swinging the pendulum over to them, they're the other people who are no longer getting favoritism won't like it either. So it's kind of like um, which will spawn more racism and discrimination. Right, right, exactly. So I kind of feel like the the appropriate strategy was what actually happened was to say we'll set the playing field even, and over time it should work its way out for the most part. Mm. Um, and I think for the most part, it's done that. Now, the reason why we don't have more black people on this and more black people on that, I think has little to do with discrimination and more to do with- um, Population numbers. Population numbers, interests. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, you know, where people live. Mm-hmm. Um, like, is it is it reasonable? Let's say you're some leftist who lives in Salt Lake City. You're Don't like, you put that must- evil on me. Don't you put that evil on me. <laughs> <laughs> How dare you, sir? I don't even want to imagine that. No, go <laughs> Good. You know, like, is it, can you expect 13% of your workforce at your company in Salt Lake City to be black? Of course not. Like, there's no black people that really live there. So obviously, <laughs> like, location matters. You know, population matters. Um, you know, 60% of black Americans live in 10 states and those 10 states you can usually name based off the city. So we live within urban city centers or surrounding, uh, urban city centers. So we're very much so condensed within those locations. So there's no way that the entirety of America could have an equal showing of, uh, you know, people in every single industry on top of that interests in every single industry. We know that there are certain demographics that are more interested in STEM than other demographics. Yeah. You know, you know, the, the list could go on and it's much of the same idea. Like, uh, we need to have the equal amount of women who are executives. Yeah. Well, a lot of women really don't want to become executives. Yeah. Like it's only certain types of women who are interested even to do these particular things or get into STEM. Mm. Um, even if they're like women join us, you know, do uh, IT, do um, computer science. Well, are they interested? You know, and that's, you run into all these different things that are that are completely natural. So I think there are going to be discrepancies. Naturally, yeah. yeah. So in today's workforce then, like how is the, the, the typical white person supposed to feel? And I'm not sitting there trying to play the pity party or the world's smallest violin on something like this, but it feels like anytime the government wants to step in, and kind of lead the way on some of these things. And then you see private enterprise mirroring their actions in regards to DEI, equal opportunity, things like this. It seems like 
the secondary effect is that it's going to breed more racism. And it feels like, I mean, I, I want to say under Obama, the Obama administration, it felt like race relations in America really plummeted, which I kind of expected because you get your first black president, it's going to bring out a lot of racists that were like more quiet before. It's like, oh, we don't want one. So naturally it felt like, yeah, but then you had like the Trayvon Martin issue. And then, you know, Obama taking a stance on that when he was clearly wrong and it didn't help matters. And it feels like in the last 15 years, race relations in America have been running really hot. Yes, but I, I would I would venture to say, who are the people who are carving out this narrative? Mm. And and it's not just leftists, but mm. I noticed that it is very prominent, wealthy leftists who are crafting this message. So like for me, when I go outside and I talk to people or I interact with my neighbors, who may be white, who may be Indian, Muslim, whatever, we get along. Mm. We're cordial. Everything is fine. Yet I, I turn on the on the news or I read a paper and yeah. it's saying race relations are at all time worse. And then I look at, well, who is writing this? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and who's spreading this message? And I turn it. You could turn on MSNBC if you like torture and <laughs> and you can see them like say these things over That's gonna and be over. the show opener right there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. All right. I'm sorry. That was really good. That was really good. All right. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, but you you turn on these things and the, and and everybody's telling you that your eyes are deceiving you that in the uh, there's, there's an underbelly that exists and you're just too ignorant to notice it, and I just keep looking. I'm like, and and that's when um, not long after I, I wrote the book and I started writing like articles, I started noticing like all these people who are saying this, Ivy League educated or went to top schools, even if it's not Ivy League. Um, they have a very elitist attitude, they're yeah. often wealthy, you know, and, and, and these are the same people and some of them, some of them are black mm. and the black ones say, oh, there's a system that's in place that's keeping us all down. Yet somehow <laughs> they made it through making millions of dollars telling us that we can't do things like, so to me that there's a much larger class oriented mess message crafting that's happening mm -hmm. mixed in with ideology. And I think the leftist ideology is the religion of the elite, mm. right? I, I was talking to uh, a father who sent his, the father is an entrepreneur, did well for himself, ended up sending his son to uh, Exeter, uh, which is the, the uh, most premier private school in the country, right? So it's the kids who are going to streamline over to Ivy League schools. <clears throat> and they're all learning this stuff. Right. DEI is all up in there. It's it's part of the curriculum. Yeah. And and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then when they make it into Harvard, they're like, I based this in high school. I got this. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and this is their this is almost like their official religion It's much like going to a Catholic school. You take your math and then you take your Bible study. Right. And they're getting much of the same kind of thing. So we can't be shocked when they leave Harvard and become our lawyers who want to run for office, who want to craft legislation to do certain things, um, who become our doctors and say, well, actually, uh, mm -hmm. your son identifies as a girl now. Uh, and it makes sense because I've, I've been learning about transgenderism and blah, blah, mm -hmm. blah. You know, we can't be shocked that these people who are in these pristine positions um, and, and come from uh, this particular area are crafting the message for the working class and the poor. It's 
Do you see what you've just listed, what you've just um, discussed there, the indoctrinational breeding grounds, which are college campuses. I saw this at West Point. I saw this, <clears throat> excuse me, specifically in the military. It really started infecting the military, man. I want to say like back in 2014, 2015. And you really started to see the officer corps go first because these officers were graduating from, again, these indoctrinational grounds. And it wasn't necessarily DEI, but it was a more progressive, well, I should, I should say at the time, a less progressive approach than what we have now. But in today's day and age with the officer corps that we've got, it is very progressive. And they're going into these platoons, they're taking up these leadership positions, and they're kind of training their soldiers now on the benefits of these progressive ideologies, yada, yada. And you see more actually in the service converting to becoming more Democrat, more liberal, which I never thought I'd see happen. But the question I have, though, is so if we see the pipeline system of indoctrination, indoctrination, if that doesn't change, do you see an end to what is currently going on as far as the... the um, I hate to keep saying, but the indoctrinating of the youth to then grow up like you just suggested. And that definitely impacts our country. It's what we see in Congress right now. Yes, I do. It's not going to be an easy road to to have it stop. But I do think mm -hmm. there are signs of pushback. Um, so because, because this seems to be very top-heavy of a narrative that's being created... I think there's there's a linear reason why people aren't watching the mainstream media, right? Why they're mm -hmm. pulling away, why more and more people are going towards independent media, uh, because it doesn't speak to them. Yeah. Um, when you have regular people who are starting to notice that they're being treated differently because of what they look like, right? Um, and, and some of them may be white, or some of them may be minorities, but they have a varying opinion. Right. So this is kind of a wake up call for a lot of people because the politics, um, the politics that they're setting, the narratives that they're setting is now interjecting on their life. Whereas before you had the choice of kind of saying, you know, I'm not into that whole politics thing. I just want to hang out with my friends. And now it's it's kind of seeped in into everybody's life. So I kind of I'm starting to see more pushback. You know, I'm an example of it. Um, I wasn't doing this, you know handful of years ago, and I decided to, to say something. Um, I look at the women with Moms for Liberty, um, the founders themselves, who were just a couple moms who wanted to do something, and they did it, and they started this organization, galvanizing moms across the country to push back against this stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I think there, there are signs of people, regular people, who are saying, I've had enough, and I want to say something, I want to do something, I want to start an organization, uh, I want to push back against this narrative. And, you know, I think the the path forward is for, one, all parents to educate their kids about what is going on. I think there's too much emphasis that the government needs to stop this. Well, guess what? In between then, you must educate your kids about what's going on. I had <clears throat> conversations with my son about all this stuff. We would watch all these different videos. And... Um, and, and show him like the crazy leftists. And my son's way more logical than I am. You know, he's he's a better version of me. And, you know, he's like, that doesn't make any sense. I was like, exactly. And then we would talk about it. But he's aware. So when mm -hmm. something pops off in his school where they're handing around uh, some, I didn't even really talk about this publicly, but like some, some uh, consulting company came into the school, had all the kids in, in like in the gym class and they were handing them papers, asking them, what do they like to be referred as? 
what is their what is their identity? What is their um, sexuality? And my my son was explained to me like a lot of the kids didn't even understand why they were asking this or what exactly did they want them to put, mm-hmm. right? And and I'm like, one, why is the school letting this happen? Like, and and I'm you know it's but I only know about this because my son was yeah. aware of this and he knows he's like I need to tell my father about this. So I think educating our kids to let them know there are a whole bunch of perverts who want to come to the schools and ask them a whole bunch of questions that's inappropriate and it's none of their damn business without the parents consent yeah we should educate our kids and let them know about that in an age-appropriate fashion oh yeah absolutely because they don't know anybody you just said said it yourself they didn't even know what they were telling them so it's clearly an indoctrinational process it's clear to them you know, trying to push and advance an agenda. It's like, why can't you just let them be kids? And I think yeah. how those children act in their natural habitat of, you know, recess, lunch, class, it's not going to be my pronouns are Z's, A, them, they, they. It's like, they don't care. They get the realistic aspect of like, boy, girl, have fun, do your thing. Versus having, you know, in this this hyper-political age that we live in, everyone is trying to go after the children. Not necessarily yeah. in a sense of kind of like, <clears throat> excuse me, um, with bad purposes, but it's to indoctrinate, to create more allies moving forward. And it's just kind of like you talked about the trans agenda. I never thought I would live in a day in this country where people will literally advocate for the mutilation of children to advance an agenda. Cause we all know that's <laughs> what this is. This is not children making this decision. These are right. parents clearly brainwashing their children to virtue signal using these kids and, and then, you know, lord them up in front of everybody because we all know liberals are wonderful at this idea of virtue signaling just how progressively woke they are to indicate how good of a human being they are. So think about how you could magnify that by you know, converting one of your children into a trans kid, because guess what? Now they're part of the victim class and I'm going to stand for these potential victims. It's like you're literally a victim of your own self-made circumstances, which is founded in insanity. Yeah. And and it's usually Munchausen moms Mm. uh, that are doing stuff like this. There's a pattern I've noticed um, from the different videos and stuff like that. When you see that circumstance, either it's a single mother or it's a it's a married couple, but the mother is clearly in charge. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that, Adam. Um, you know why? Because every and I, if you're listening to this show, I challenge you, and I guarantee you've seen this as well because you just literally said it out loud. Do you remember seeing every one of those child friendly drag shows? And if you scan the audience, who did you primarily see? It was women. And of the very, it was liberal white women, matter of fact. You don't see black women dealing with that crap. Like, you rarely see black women like, mm-mm, no. They're, they're too yeah. smart for it because they don't, they don't give a crap what people think. But in the audience, you see nothing but liberal white women. And the white men that you see are very effeminate. They're very beta. You can tell by their body language. You can tell by how they dress. And clearly, the women wear the pants in that family. So it definitely shows more to the point of like when you need that duality of masculine energy versus feminine energy, if you relent on yours and that feminine energy grows more, it's an imbalance. There's got to be checks and balances. And so these women allow these fathers, and I use that term very loosely, to lure their children up, to put them in front of degenerate homosexual men wanting to dress as women and parade around. I, I just, I look at this and I cannot, I cannot help but think that this is what freedom has brought us. So and, and how do you how do you speak out against that? Because, again, I don't believe involving children. I think it's disgusting. I think it's degeneracy. Yeah. Let them 
But I also fall back on the what two adults do is their own thing. But it's like, where, where, how come we can't find that middle line of saying, if you want to dress and drag and go do your thing and lip sync to Madonna, you do you, boo. I don't care. But that wasn't enough. Now they went to the next step of we want to indoctrinate the children. So, you, you know, what's interesting, I kind of feel like, I feel like it became a trend. Like, I would imagine if I'm some drag performer, I only have a limited amount of work that's available to me, right? Um, so when this became sort of a trend and then it became a culture war thing, mm -hmm. and it almost feels like there's always this tit for tat. Um, you know, some somebody had a child drag show, the right mm -hmm. complained, and then they're like, you know what? The right doesn't like it, we're gonna do more of it, Yeah. right? And then they're just like, listen, I'm a drag performer. They hired me, I'll dance wherever, I don't really care. And if there's kids there, then so be it. And, and I kind of feel like that kind of plays into it as well, um, that the drag performers are just performing because they're like everybody else, just trying to make some money. And they don't necessarily have control that there are kids there, mm. but they're not necessarily saying no. So it's not, to, it's not to say they have no responsibility at all, but I almost feel like there, there is much being used in this equation uh, as other people. Um, and not necessarily like they're out to be perverts. Now, do they end up doing perverted stuff because kids are there? Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of I try to I'm trying to be fair and weighed in my head as to why it's come to this. Um, but at the end of the day, yes, there are parental rights. However, we've always had the government that says you cannot do this, right? So yes, you have you have parental rights. You have the right. To discipline your child but guess what you can't take a broomstick and hit him in the head right that would be considered abuse <laughs> that depends on what age you grew up in <laughs> i guarantee if we still adopted that policy we wouldn't have the problems we have right now mom i think i'm a boy okay i'm a girl <laughs> it's like uh, no i don't know i kind of have to disagree on that point as far as the drag queens not knowing because a lot of these instances, and I'm not saying that there aren't innocent ones that show up as like, oh, crap, there's kids here. But right. on a lot of these instances, you will see that they're going to put out a flyer, a pamphlet, an online announcement, and it clearly states child-friendly, and then lists the drag queen's name. So it's like, you can't say, not you person, but the drag queens themselves can't go back there and say, oh, we didn't know. It's like, no, you knew, and you did it anyway. So the government, and I guess, that's why I, guess I love- it's more of like an intent. Like, it's oh, yeah. not- I guess I'm, what I'm trying to get at is not like they're like, oh, great, there are kids going to be there. I'm just saying they're kind of like, listen, this is what the organizers are doing. I'm a performer. I'll perform anywhere. I don't care. Right. Yeah. So they're still culpable for mm -hmm. doing it. Yeah. But I. You're just explaining just the reasoning behind their, their logic. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. the reason. Yeah. That's all. I don't know, man. I kind of feel like, well, then again, we're talking about drag queens. They're not the most sane people out there, but whatever. It's okay. <laughs> no, I, it is so the government will sit there and at one point before Roe v. Wade was overturned and pushed back down to the States, it was, you know, the regulations concerning abortion. It was that in some places like you could have an abortion. You could literally murder that child in some States didn't matter the length or the month. It didn't matter. But then they kind of, they turn around and say, well, okay, we're going to push this back down to the States, but it's perfectly acceptable for you to take a toddler to go see a grown man and I've seen many situations where the grown man is wearing a set of fake breasts that are clearly exposed. They look like the real thing. But it's okay to, you know, let that child have access to pornography 
which again, and they talk about all the studies in regards to people wanting to ban porn of what it does to the brain. So you're going to allow children to access this. So it's very hypocritical. The government would sit there for the longest time and say, you can murder your kid and then turn around and say, and you can also subject your child to these types of hypersexual environments and expect that, you know, it's, it's nothing bad or nothing negative. There's gonna be no negative outcome. It's like, you're damaging your child. So the point being is that the government has consistently failed. And the more that we see states take over, take back their rights for more states' rights, and then people can actually utilize democracy to vote for what they feel their state should be, I think that's the best way forward, which it's, like I said, it was nice to see Roe v. Wade done to that level. It's not that I necessarily agreed with the whole, I'm just one of those, let the states decide. And if states decide they want it or they don't, so be it. Democracy speaks. We don't get to, you can't cherry pick freedom. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm wondering if, I think my biggest fear is that is the definition of abuse mm. seems to be changing. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the, the, the real scary thing that's happening lately is basically kidnapping children and bringing them to other states. Yep. Um, or, or the state that the parents live in with their child is taking away the child for not quote unquote affirming them. Like to me, that is egregious. Mm. Um, especially the, the transferring of children from one state to another. Um, let's say because your, your ex-spouse, uh, you know, is, is one of those Munchausen moms who wants to trans the kid. Then all of a sudden they, they want to use the kid and, and bring him to California. And California is like, we don't, you know, we don't send the kids back and we'll, we'll help you trans them. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Um, I think that is inc granted. Thankfully, that's that's something that's rare that happens. But the fact that it exists mm -hmm. uh, is is very disturbing. It's not something that should exist. Um, but this is to me, this is like this is such a common sense thing. I'll tell you this. I have a, uh, a friend of mine who, uh, Republican candidate, likely she's going to run again. Um, but she she talks to Democrats all the time out in California. And I'll tell you, a lot of the people who don't like this stuff are Democrats. I believe that. I do believe that. Yeah. You know, and and the problem is that. And this is this is my issue with with moderate liberals is that they allow the progressives to take over. See, the progressives, they're always, they're, yes, they're given indoctrination. They're, they're given, uh, you know, a philosophy, right? But they're also told to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And so they're always gung-ho about changing something, right? Which ultimately brings on uh, the communist worldview. But they're always encouraged to do something about it. And, and so they run into government. They run into positions of power because they're always focused on power. Mm -hmm. Everything is a power dynamic. And so they run into these positions, and that's why I think Trump broke a lot of liberals' brains, is because they said, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And it's like, mm -hmm. no, no, no. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't always so, work that way. <laughs> it doesn't always work that way. You're still picking up a snake. Because, it might have bit somebody else. It's still a snake. Oh, yes, because progressives have no friends. Mm -hmm. See that, And that's, that's ultimately the point. Progressives only have friends with themselves. Either you are with them or you're against them mm -hmm. entirely. And so they are. You know, I wouldn't even categorize that just progressives, though. I, I've seen that displayed. I know you've seen it, too, in the political realms of and I'm not throwing shade on this one in terms of Trump supporters, DeSantis supporters. You do see a lot of that type of collective behavior 
uh, exemplified, not just within progressives, though, because it's like, okay, well, if we've, we've gotten out of this mindset, which, again, when it comes to progressives, maybe they exemplify it more aggressively, but the dynamic yeah. of if you don't agree with me, then you must hate me, you're my enemy, versus there are people that I'm friends with, like Viva Frey, who's a, a big Trump guy, who's also a lawyer, whom I don't agree with on some things, but he's a good dude. I've met him, we've hung out. It's just like, we just see things a little differently. We support a different candidate. So we see like the moderate levels of kind of like, yeah, versus progressive levels of if you don't agree with transing children, you're a bad human being and you shouldn't have your children anymore because that's child abuse. So I would say, I, I agree with you. It, it's the authoritarian aspect of it. Mm. Um, that they share, um, but the only difference is that progressives. Do you have see that though? Do you, do you see that? That was a question. Yeah. But do you see it that way? Because if I'm, if you see it differently, I want to get your perspective on that. Oh no, I absolutely see it. Okay, like I'm, I'm all for the term the woke right mm-hmm. because they I act much in the same way. Oh, you've okay. never heard that? No, no, yeah. but no, it, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. The oh yeah, woke yeah. right? Because if you see, I'm, I'm very much so into psychology and human behavior. Mm-hmm. And so if you watch the behavior, you watch the language, the terms that people use, and you just swap a noun here and there, and it's mm-hmm. like they're saying the same stuff. Oh, kind of right? like Matt Gates. I saw him do some stuff in terms of the Jamals and the uh, the infamous tweet he tweeted out about losing white uh, Republican women voters that will get more Jamals and other stuff, which was kind of like it's smacked of progressive tendency, progressive language. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> yeah. bro, you're doing the same thing the left does. It's like, and I get equality. I, and I, and that's what I think a lot of conservatives try to really highlight. It's like, we do want equality, but without using the same verbiage and the same intent that the left does. And like Gates just did it. So I, yeah, I see what you're saying. I did, I just never heard it called woke, right? But yeah, that's dead on the money. Yeah. I mean, down to the cancellations, to the mm. boycotts. See, before it was like, well, canceling is bad and yeah. boycotts are bad. It's like, but now it's it's the authoritarian aspect where every authoritarian thinks that their cancellation is good, yeah, right, or their boycott is actually good. It's righteous. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? Progressives feel the same exact way. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You know? and- Speaking on that, do you think that's ever going to end as far as because for me, I feel like the lesson that we're going through, I think we're like people don't realize we're living during very insane. And I I believe in God. I believe in Christ. I feel I truly believe we are in the end times. I do. And I'm not trying to Mm. offend anybody if they're religious. And even if they are, I don't care or not religious, whatever. If you're atheist, then why do you care? You're going to hell anyway. So why why bother being offended? So (laughs) (laughs) I told you it's a great show. No, um, I believe everybody has the right to believe as they want to. And I'm not going to bash them for it. I will make fun of people because we get made fun of. But the idea yeah. that we are living in a very strange time of the cancellation, the dual economies, I think the overall lesson to be learned here is that businesses need to stay out of politics, focus on capitalism, focus on the free market, and leave politics to its own design because this economic battle back and forth, ultimately, mm-hmm. it's hurting Americans. It's not doing Americans any good. It's trying to weaponize one system against the other, but ultimately, you know, look at Bud Light. And I know earlier you were talking about their, you know, boycotts being good or bad. And I just want to clarify, Adam's talking about from a third party perspective of looking outside in at it, not saying like there's no such thing. But you look at the the boycott of Bud Light. I agreed with it because it was like, look, there's got to be a stance at some point to where this this can't stand anymore. It's gone off the rails of common sense into just flat out degeneracy. And if you really break it down, uh, patriarchy, that a man can now sit there and become a woman 
and make these women fade away into oblivion, take the spotlight, because now again, they're the victim class. And then you have these Dylan Mulvaney's who, by virtue of doing nothing outside of dressing like a woman, acting like a woman, taking the hormones, you still haven't accomplished anything. So why all this, this, this praise, this, this, you know, they're, they're all the things they're doing for this guy. So it does, it does feel like a lot of people are just kind of like, we need to move past this and businesses just need to shut the hell up and sell the Bud Light and be quiet. Yeah. And, and here's the thing about, in my opinion, when it comes to the Budweiser um, situation, I don't think there needed to be some sort of organized boycott. I mm-hmm. think it would have just happened anyways, mm-hmm. because look at the demographic of people who drink that beer. <laughs> that was such a dumb move on their part. I was like, bro, you just alienated and ostracized your, con- your literally your consumer base. Right. Um, and I, it, it was almost listening to the, the former, uh, former woman who's head of marketing. It was almost like, she's like, you know, we got to get more like wine drinkers who, who want to take Bud Light. I was just like, know your audience. <laughs> Like, what do you think is going to happen? Which she's literally in the interview is like, we need to get outside of the college frat boys. Are like, Dave, you, have you never drank Bud Light? Like Bud Light is camel piss. <laughs> like that's what broke people drink. And I don't care if that offends you or whoever's listening. I, Bud Light is camel piss. Like I didn't even participate in the boycott because I never drank it. I actually have taste. I'm not drinking Bud Light. <laughs> like, God, throw in a freaking Me White either. Claw while you're at it. Listen, nah, I'm just kidding. White Claw is actually better than Bud Light. But do you see an end to this though? Do you, do you see an end to this, this economic divide? Do you see this ending in our lifetime? Uh, yes. Because I, I think at the end of the day, the same thing goes with DEI and corporations. There's already signs that DEI is withdrawing from corporations. Because at the end of the day, it's about the bottom dollar. Like, uh, you know, it's I wrote business, an article. Yeah, for, yeah I, I wrote an article for, for the New York Post about DEI because uh, there were there was, there was statistics and they were talking to um, – Business insiders talking about how the phase of DEI is is actually decreasing. I've actually seen stuff on Twitter from uh, ranting people who uh, who work within the DEI industry, who are consultants, who are saying, "I'm not getting work," right? And it's because it was a wave. I I can't hear you. I was muted. Sorry. No, I I love what you just said as far as the DEI positions. I wasn't aware that was an actual thing because I always thought that was kind of like HR equal opportunity. So now they've created actual DEI positioning. Yes. So I didn't know that. All right. So I'll, I'll I'll try to give like a a, a brief breakdown. So what happened was, and, and, and this is shown statistically, um, George Floyd happened right after George Floyd companies started asking themselves, listen, this seems like a big social issue. And so every company is worried about liability, especially large corporations. So they're they're worried about liability and they're worried about public relations, right? And so if one company starts to implement something, well, they want to see like, well, maybe we should start doing the same thing. So that's why you started seeing corporations throw money at BLM, throw money at this, throw money at that. And, you know, that's public relations money. Right. This is a this is a strategy. Pandering. To make pandering. Yeah. It's pandering. Right. So from there, there is a liability aspect because if people are becoming more racially aware and what it, what are the what's the possibility that we could get sued? Let's say, for example, um, let's say Coca-Cola is worried about us possibly getting sued because we didn't do enough 
to uh, stop uh, a racist situation within our company. So that's where DEI was always an industry that existed, but it was a, a niche industry that most corporations saw it as niche. Like they didn't see any value in it. So then they just went all in. So much so, not even just creating a department, but creating an executive level. So they had like an, an officer on, on actual boards, a, di a diversity officer. <laughs> and you ask yourself, what exactly does a diversity what, officer do? What do you do, do here? <laughs> I'm diverse. Yes. I've got your article. I'm going to link it in there with the Rumble chat here. Your article was published January 30. This is the one we read on the show yesterday. And bro, I have to say, this was so very well written. Mark Cuban is wrong. Blacks don't need his help to succeed. I want to stop it right there. How does it make you feel as a black man when you walk into a company? Do you, well, let's just say in society in general, do you feel like people treat you differently now? Like they walk on eggshells because we don't want, and I, I don't say in the sense of like, we don't want to offend the black man, but more in a sense of like a condescending tone, like, oh, you poor thing. I'm here to be your ally. Do you feel like people kind of like view black people now as a result of this diversity, as a result of this, this DEI? Do you feel like now they have intentionally made you the victim class or at least the perception of such to say, which I feel is like they want to turn around and then virtue signal how it's like, I'm an ally. The same with the LGBT, same with the BLM. You see a lot of this. How do you feel? So in this kind of goes back to the class thing because I'm, I'm very much so I live in like a middle to upper middle class area. And so I don't really run into those types of people. Um, and, and for the most part, people don't really talk like that. Mm. Um, I never felt people were treating me special, different mm. or anything like that in my day to day life. Now, when I've been in political circles, it's a little bit different. Um, so like if I'm in more right wing circles, if I go to a conference or, you know, um, have conversations with people, one thing I notice is that they are in eggshells because they want to talk about it because they're confused. Right. And this is especially like a, a few years ago. They were very confused as to what the fuck was going on, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and it's very I just, much I'm so, white. I just got told I'm a racist. I haven't done anything. Yeah. I love Dave Chappelle. I mean, what do you want right. me to <laughs> Right. Um, and, and by the way, they're always like a little bit awkward, but I'm okay with the awkward <laughs> conversation is like, they'll be like, uh, I like Brandon Tatum. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. Like I was talking to uh, on Twitter. Oh, I got banned by the way, folks. I, I appealed my account right now. My new Twitter is not John Burke. It's a satire account. Wink, wink. I got the, the <laughs> Groypers came after me and apparently they reported the account or maybe it was an algorithmic pickup. I don't know. But the new Twitter account is just not John Burke, not John. Burke. There you go. But I was having a conversation with um, Cowden free on Twitter. I don't know if you know him. He goes by Tim yeah. cool. Love him. You know, there's a few things I disagree with him on, but we were having a conversation one day and I was like, it's like, Tim, do you feel like if you're black and on the right, do you feel like you are just quickly elevated as the token black righty towards like, look, we've got one of yours. Look how not racist. It's kind of like the akin to, I have a black friend, therefore I'm not racist. Sometimes that's, that's kind of happened. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing. I guess it depends on the situation and the context. So I've had people tag me and stuff, um, and I'll look, and they're like, no black person does this. You know, it'll be somebody on the left. And they're like, well, what about Adam? You know, <laughs> Are you saying that he, he's not yeah. black? Like, he yeah. doesn't. So, like, I, I kind of get it. 
the I do have a little bit of an issue as far as showcasing something when it's convenient for you, mm. but in other circumstances, we're terrible. Right. Yeah, yeah, quite about right. it. So, so for example, and, and this was like, this was like such a hilarious in a sad way kind of situation that happened. I, I started noticing, especially over the past year, and it's probably happened longer, but it started really coming together. Most of the crime videos that circulate on the right are of black people committing crimes. Now, someone would be like, oh, that's because so black people commit. Okay, fine. Right. So it's not me denying stats. But when we know that not 90% of all crime, whether it's violent or stealing stuff, we know that not 90% of the crime is committed by black people. It's not? Yet 90. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm it, kidding. It actually is. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, but the clips me, I, keep, I keep seeing coming out of California, it certainly looks like y'all are smashing, grabbing like mofos out there. Well, there you go. <laughs> but that, but see, see, that's the thing. So yeah. my question is, so if we know that, then how come 90 plus percent of the crime videos are of black people? Mm. Right. Push so a narrative, a racial narrative. Right. So. And then and then you read the comments and then you see you see you see the stuff and you see the 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 narrative that's being created. But then when some and I'm just going to say it, when some hood nigga on TikTok says, oh, they got my boy Trump. I'm voting Trump now. <laughs> then they're like, we got the black vote. We got the black vote. Like the same demographic of people that would steal the stuff that you would complain about, call them degenerates. Now they wouldn't vote Trump. And you're like, oh, they're great. They're wonderful now. <laughs> we love them. <laughs> yeah. You're not wrong on that. No, you're really not wrong on that. I want to, oh, Jesus. <laughs> I think that should be the show opener. That is going to be the show opener. My God. That'll, that, yeah. No, but I, I do want to go back to the other point you just made, though, in a sense of you said, like, you read the comments. I feel like, and I've seen that, and I have a lot of friends that actually do that, but it's not with the intent, and I could, but I'm trying to break this down categorically. I don't feel, because I know a lot of these guys, I don't feel the intent is that they don't like black people. It's to counter the leftist narrative that they refuse to acknowledge that there are issues within, say, for example, inner city black culture where violence and poverty are more rampant, but they don't want to acknowledge that. Now, maybe that's just me looking at it from a different perspective because my mind is like, look, the first way to solve a problem is to, again, um, discuss or identify the problem. And I've, I've had discussions with like BLM members on this, and I actually agree with a lot of BLM members. It's like, okay, let's talk about economics. If you've got a inner city black kid that statistically is going to come from a single parent household from his mom without a masculine figure, a, a positive masculine figure, who, again, is at the lower end of the economic um, spectrum, if you will, how is that child supposed to be influenced in a positive direction and then also how is he supposed to economically lift himself out of that poverty area when he doesn't have the money to go to college he's going to be working a job he probably doesn't like when it's more lucrative to deal drugs belong to a gang whatever other means that are kind of breaking the law it's just it's a easier buck because they're not they don't have a, an actual chance and i'm not saying this for all black people but that inner violence area it's like well, then how do we have that discussion nationwide without instantly people jumping in there trying to poke of saying, look, it's racism, it's favoritism, it's this. It's like, no, that mm -hmm. should be a rational position that we could actually have a discussion on to say, how do we fix this issue? 
So with that being said, that's where I feel like the ultimate goal for a lot of these, or I should say some of these people, because I'm sure there are people like you've suggested that say, we just want to showcase how violent black people inherently are, how they're not good, how they should be deported. Yeah, that's clearly, there's a racist agenda there. But I do see on the other end that some people like, you know, the left needs to acknowledge this problem because until you do, this is not going to change. And if you genuinely care about minorities, if you genuinely care about black people, you need to start telling the truth. And then once we can acknowledge the truth, how do we work together to fix this? So, and that was a lot. I'm sorry. That was a lot to throw at you. I apologize. No, no, no. No, you're good. So I hear everything that you're saying. Mm -hmm. The only issue is that trying to prove the far left wrong falls in actually into their trap. So, if, if you understand that their their objective is to make people race conscious, mm-hmm. that's ultimately what their objective is. It doesn't necessarily mean that you agree with their stance, but it's that they want you to be racially conscious as to everything that's happening in, in society. Mm-hmm. So when when you see these videos over and over, you're not supposed to say that, well, these are uh, children from, from broken homes. These are kids maybe who experienced some sort of abuse. Uh, these are poor kids. Like You're not supposed to notice that first. You're supposed to be racially conscious that these are black children, right? So the, the goal is to make sure that you are racially aware. Now, if you become racially aware, well, then you're easily manipulated. Just like if the left becomes racially aware, if, if some moderate liberal becomes raci- racially aware, they're easy to, to pull into their side but they also need an enemy, yeah. right? And so the racially aware political right falls into their traps by wanting to prove the left wrong, by saying, see, black people do have an issue. And so the left says, why do you keep bringing up black? Yeah, yeah. Right, so- It's a catch-22. It's a catch-22. That's why I will write stuff that could easily be saying black this, black that, in, in, in going after leftists, but I don't sometimes because it's not about the black part for me. It's mm. about fatherlessness. Mm. It's about poverty. It's about all these class issues. It's all it's about those things to me are the most important things, because if we remedy those things, then we remedy all types of things for all different types of kids. And obviously there are white kids who commit crimes or Hispanic kids who commit crimes. There are white kids who don't have fathers, Hispanic kids don't have fathers. So, you know, when we when we uh, isolate it to one group of people and let's say, yes, it is disproportionately high. But we also isolate everybody else. Right. We don't get to talk about the white kids who are having issues, Um, you know, because for the most part, when I talk about growing up without my father, just about everybody who reaches out to me does not look like me. And I actually wrote an article for my Substack, the the race conscious um, issue and, and calling white people oppressors and all that stuff. The people who get hurt a lot are white children who don't get advocated for, even though they're experiencing the same type of issues, mm-hmm. right? Because they're mm-hmm. children. So the you know the fatherlessness aspect. As soon as we add a, a racial connotation to it, for everything, it becomes it becomes a, uh, a political weapon. But when we remove the racial connotation, then it just becomes about the activity of being a father, mm-hmm. right? 
So if fatherless is, is bad for black kids, it's bad for every kid because children are mm. children. So that's why I think it's it's very good if if the political right understands that the far left is far better at propaganda than we are. Right? Oh yeah. Um, 100%. And so you have to understand their motives, understand what they're trying to do because quite easily if you take someone we'll just use Charlie Kirk and and the whole black pilots thing. <clears throat> if I'm on the left, oh that's that's red meat right there. I could mm -hmm. easily take see what he said, this is why we need anti-racism in schools. And and that's the problem. Even if I agreed with everything that Charlie Kirk is saying, how he is saying it and his primary focus or even why he is saying it will easily become spin for the left-wing media and spin to convince other people to join the anti-racist movement. So every movement needs an enemy, mm. right? Nothing, nothing unites better than hate, not love. Hate unites way more than love does. Exactly. In regards to Charlie Kirk, though, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I saw what Kirk was trying to, honestly, Kirk's a smart dude. He knows what he's doing. I'm not a fan of his. I don't like Turning Point. I don't like what these grifters have, have set themselves. I mean, rich, uber rich. And mm -hmm. when I saw what Kirk did, Matt Walsh had chimed in and Matt had talked about that. The left has done a very good job at <clears throat> the statue removal, the attacking historical white figures and trying to demonize them as just, you know, being less than human because our forefathers were slave owners and it's like you're, and I've said this repeatedly, you're trying to apply historic, or excuse me, contemporary politically correct standards to historical example or historical figures. You can't do that. That's, that's not right because then you remove the ability to actually progress and become better. You just expect them to be birthed into this world naturally, not racist. And it's like, that doesn't work that way because you're dealing with the human element of ignorance. It's always going to exist. And that's what you're ultimately fighting. But right. what Kirk did, and Matt Walsh explained, that if the left is going to attack these right-leaning historical figures, then we need to start doing the same thing to them. And so naturally, Kirk and them went after Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm kind of like, okay, was Martin Luther King Jr. a good dude? What he stood for absolutely was. Personally, he could have been the biggest piece of crap in the world. He probably he was a human being. He was a man. You know, we have to stop glorifying these people and putting them on pedestals as if they were perfect. We have to accept the humanity of a lot of these historical figures. It's like they were flesh and blood like you and me. You cannot deny from them and deprive right. them of their humanity and of that, the ability to make mistakes, to say the wrong things, do the wrong things. But what Martin Luther King Jr. stood for was right. It was 100% right. What he did, you cannot undermine that. He led a movement of true equality through peaceful means, which was Bro, what makes that any different than what Gandhi did? It's like, it's it's very, it's something that you should look at and say, no, he did what was right. Did I agree that he was a communist? It's like, I, I don't know. But to go back to the point of what Kirk was doing was that they were trying to apply the same tactics the left employs against the right. And it was just going to backfire. And the thing that blew my mind on this is like, you're doing this right before or right in, at an election year when you've got your guy Trump who the left paints as a racist daily, who I don't think Trump's racist. I'm not voting for Trump, but he's not a racist. He's not an anti-Semite. He's probably a sexist, probably a misogynist, but most men his age really are, especially that high up in the corporate ladder or corporate world. But either way, Kirk and the rest of them, it's like, you're smarter than this. So in my mind, it's like, what's the ulterior goal here? There has to be one because you knew the press was going to take this, spin it, and paint you to be the racist they genuinely think you are. Rage. I think it goes back to that. You look mm -hmm. at someone like Milo. Milo, mm -hmm. Milo built a, I mean, 
uh, a very fast and short career, yeah. relatively speaking. But he just said all the things that pissed people off. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is an economy with catering to the people who are foaming at the mouth. Mm. And Rage politics, uh, fear mongering, fear clicks, all that on Twitter, especially. Right. It's, it's fear clicks. It's um, but, but see, this is this goes back to the, the woke. Right. Right. So when you say that it is bad when when they tear down statues. But it's good when we tear down statues like so then you're telling me that you just have no principles. Yeah. At all. Right. And what exactly are you conserving, Mr. Conservative? Um, are you conserving actual principles or are you just using the title to make money and grift off of everybody? Yeah. Or are you just using it for political convenience? So, you know, I, I say this as someone who's a political independent um, who is trying to actually be principled and not support things that go against my principles. Um, I see something wrong. Now, if if the right, if, if someone like Matt Walsh and Charlie Kirk were always like this, always authoritarian, always said boycotts and cancellation are on the table, and we're always like this, and, and freedom of this, uh, and restricting speech and censorship are always on the table, then I'd be like, well, I can't be shocked. They, they've always advocated for this stuff. But the fact that we spent, I don't know how many years talking about freedom of speech is really important, but then goes and wants to attack people for saying the wrong thing on the on the left. So freedom of speech is not that important to you, right? We need to get rid of these this platform. Wait a second, but I thought you said getting rid of people's platforms is bad. So to me, I, I see these people as authoritarian figures who, um, just like every authoritarian, will find some rationality to implement his power. And justify it, yeah. And justify it. Well, no, 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 it's completely different when we kill them. (laughs) You know, it's it's that kind of thing. So, but do I think that, um, and I agree with you, I don't think Trump is a racist. I don't don't think that at all. Um, There's other things I don't like him for. It's mainly policy. Like I, like I said, you know, here's the thing. Like, personally, I don't care. Like, people's like, do you like him? Because I, I don't know the guy. Probably don't know him behind closed doors very well. I was like, but I go strictly off of policy. He's a politician. That's what I have to judge him by. And the policies I right. did not agree with. I felt DeSantis was a better guy. But one thing I'm not going to do is besmirch the dude on things that he's not actually guilty of. Because, again... You can, you can disagree with somebody and say, these are the reasons why I disagree with you, but I'm not going to just sit there and dogpile you for the sake of, well, I just don't like your policies, therefore I don't like you individually. I, right. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to simply say that I don't like them for these reasons, these reasons alone. That's literally it. But the left, they don't want that. They want, like you said, the racial awareness to attach mm-hmm. itself because I feel like in the progressive mind, there's your justification for your positioning to say, I hate him. He's a racist. He's a xenophobe. He's a bigot. It's like, not really. You can hate him because of his policies and his political leaning, but when you dogpile on these other things that are cosmetic, they're, they're fabrications, they're not true, they're trying to smother the truth and as much BS as they can so that the common voter, because again, like I said this many times, like you're plugged in, I'm plugged in, people watching the show are plugged in. If you're on Twitter and the political spectrum, you're plugged in. You see what's going on versus the common voter doesn't. They just see right. a headline on CNN. They see something on Fox. They read a newspaper. Trump's racist. Oh, and you see it enough. And it's like you start believing the lie. And that's why I feel like the media has just gotten really out of hand. Both sides, both sides on this one. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've been wanting to 
construct a, an article talking about this very thing that's, that tells the public you're not going crazy, mm. right? The media <laughs> yeah. is driving you crazy, though. Yeah. And, and it's quite literally both sides. And I say this as somebody who, who writes for multiple publications. There is, there is a lean. There is a bias. There is clickbait. And from mainstream outlets to independent outlets, mm -hmm. they all do it. Um, and, and it quite literally drives people mad. Um, uh, if I can give like a quick, a quick yeah, anecdote. Go for it. Go for it. <clears throat> so my, a relative of mine reached out to me and sent me this link it's to some pro blackish website, whatever. But the headline said something, I don't remember it verbatim, but it, it said something like Florida wants, Florida is trying to pass a bill that would put you in jail if you call someone a racist. And I and just right there, it sounds like the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Right. Because just common sense, we have a First Amendment. Like you yeah. can't go to jail because you call someone a name. Yeah. <laughs> so so I I'm like, well, that's bullshit. But let me click on it, and then it shows the bill. So I go to the bill and I'm reading it, and the bill says, and and you know how bills are, they're mm. legalese and stuff like that. But it's basically yeah. talking about libel for publications, media publications. Mm. That has nothing to do with black yeah. people. It's nothing yeah. to do with it. <laughs> it has nothing to do with it. Yeah. And, and I'm and I'm trying to explain to my relative, like, hey, this has nothing to do with black people. Racist. Everything to do with slander and libel. Yes. Right. Yeah. And 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 I was like, and he was like, oh, they're trying to take away our voice because he's in, he's in Florida. Yeah. And I'm like. But bro, it doesn't say that. Like, did you, I, I, I was looking at it. I was reading it. It says nothing about what that headline says. It drives people insane. And it's mm -hmm. almost like the less known you are of a publication, the wilder the headline mm -hmm. because they, they have to. Um, and, and that's my, my biggest thing is people aren't realizing that they're being catered to, right? Mm -hmm. So they're being catered to at the same time, they're being driven insane by ridiculous narratives, by uh, factual based articles with lean that's yeah. inserted in there. Right. Yeah. So like some of my favorites are the ones with Trump, where it says Trump is in China right now. Xi Jinping, he's also being indicted for blah, blah, blah. And he's, he's accused of being a white supremacist. Like, it's like, wait a second, wait a second. What does that have to do with him being in China? They, they're doing that to drive their audience insane. And, and also, you don't even have to agree with it to click on the link. Yeah. It can drive you insane as someone who's a Trump supporter and says, what is this bullshit that CNN is doing? You click on the link, now they got, yeah. they got a hit. Great, mm -hmm. wonderful. We got the click and we can tell our advertisers, look at all these hits we're getting. Yeah. So, you know, our media environment has basically turned into rage vultures yeah fear mongering it, fear porn it, it gets the clicks it yeah i mean you look at look at if we look back at our society social media i feel like for humanity probably was not something we ever should have had because when you have this many voices all screaming out at the same time trying to scream over each other it's just like there are ignorance is bliss in many different cases to where it's like you know what we don't need a constant barrage bombardment of all these negative clickbait headlines, all, all the telling us that this person's racist, this person is a racist, like all these things. Mm -hmm. But the, the fall of our society, American society in general, 
you look at shows like the Kardashians. Man, I, I'm not joking about this. When you when you watch these shows, there is no depth to them. It is it's cosmetic entertainment at best because it's a show that you are seeing somebody live a life that you could only dream to live because of how rich and famous they are. But it's also a show that kind of makes you feel very good about yourself just because of how stupid some of these people are. <laughs> Hence the birth of reality television that I even admit, like if I'm in a hotel or something and a show comes on, and I don't normally watch TV, but if a show comes on, you can't help sometimes but just sit there and watch. And it's not that I like what I'm watching. I'm just fascinated by the levels of ignorance and the lack of self-awareness of, say, for example, like Jersey Shore. It's like you do realize you're a bunch of douchebags. But I'm going to watch. I'm going to click the title. I'm going to click the headline. Because why? Because we as human beings, I guess, I think we're, we're just have this, this inherent um, natural leaning to be more interested in the negative things than the positive things. And what I mean by that is, like to your point, the fear-mongering, the hatred. When do you see anything good in the news? Never. Never. Something sure. inherently good doesn't happen. So I feel like the media, entertainment, feed into that human condition of anger, hatred, um, loathing to a degree, and it resonates. And here's the thing. If it makes them money, they're not going to stop. Principles be damned, baby. It's business. And so like yeah. you said, it's driving the consumers insane, but it's also the consumer's fault. You you participate. Yes. You consume it. Yes. Um, and that's why... I feel a sense of responsibility to not contribute to that. Mm. Um, it's why I don't argue with people on Twitter. It's why I don't write hyperbolic articles. It's why with wrong speak, we don't publish hyperbolic articles either. We don't do clickbait. We don't do any of that stuff. And yes, we are not making a ton of money doing so, mm. but we sleep at night mm -hmm. knowing that we're not contributing to the noise. And I just think that, I almost kind of feel like it's fast cash. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, like the, the rage bait stuff, quite, I, I'm not going to name names, but we could just oh, imagine. Please do. Please do. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. I'm, <laughs> I'm screwing it. <laughs> <laughs> but we could just imagine some of the most hyperbolic whoever commentators in two, three years are not going to be around. I disagree, bro. I know exactly what you're talking about. I'll so? name names. Uh, here, here's okay. Look at DC Drano's. Look Jack Sobasex. What's going to happen? And, and you know, I don't really talk about this too often because it's it is kind of bad if you think about it. They built their brand. Like I knew a lot of these guys when they were up and coming, mm -hmm. and they built their brand on the you know the the juxtaposition to the left, and doing basically the same kind of things the left did. But now you look at these people. And they are clearly fabricating outlandish uh, conspiracy theories for the sakes of the cliques. Um, right. We've seen it with the Taylor Swift as a psyop, all this. Everything's a psyop these days. Um, so naturally, they're employing right-leaning tactics, but using a left-leaning approach to it. And it makes sense. It drives engagement, hence why they have millions of followers. So to your point, though, once the era of Trump is over, all they're going to do is attach themselves like barnacles, like these succubus, to the next thing. I hate to say this because I feel like the good should always win. I feel genuinely a lot of these people, even on the left, the the leftist commentators like Brooklyn Dad Defiant and those idiots, they'll just reattach themselves to the next thing 
and continue on with the tactics they've been employing. I, you feel free to disagree with me on that one, my man. I'm interested in hearing your perspective on that one. Some of them. I think some of them might do that. Um, it, I think it really depends on what the environment is. And I think that there are certain commentators who just repeated what certain politicians were saying mm. and they had no thought between it. They just rationalized whatever that politician says. That's their ethos. And they just yeah. kind of went with it. Um, they're not political commentators, yeah. right? They're, they're evangelists. Like, yeah, yes. Very well. So I was going to say inter like political interpreters trying to break down and spoo fade to the eyes. Like, no, no, Trump really meant this, but I like the inv right. evangelical. That's a good one. Yeah. And so those people I feel will disappear. Um, you think so? I think so because they're not talented enough to remix themselves. Like it's easy to copy someone. But the art of propaganda doesn't change though. Like again, the Drano, for example, once Trump is over, I feel he's still gonna employ the same tactics, but with a different person, a different thing, because ultimately I think money is the biggest driving force. And until the money dries up, why would they quit? Well, here's the thing. Part of the reason that there's money in it is because Trump is still in the game. If Trump is no longer in the game, mm. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you from a from a behind the scenes standpoint, I talked to a whole bunch of people. Mm -hmm. There is a divide between people who want to move on from Trump. It's not that they hate Trump. Right. It's people who feel like this might not be the best bet moving mm -hmm. forward and people who want to keep it going because in some ways uh, Trump made them money. Does yeah. he still make the money? It's a, it's a questionable thing. But the donors are trying to figure out which way to go. Yeah. Um, there's not as much money that's flowing around. You know, people are bringing up how the RNC doesn't have a whole bunch of money. Part of the reason is because donors don't know what to do. So they're just holding on to their cash. Mm -hmm. And donors are entitled to do that. It's their money. They're, they're donating. Yeah. So there there is a... there. I think there's a waiting for something to happen. And let's say, for yeah. example, if Trump was to lose this election, I think they would be completely done. And the money that would be thrown towards the the people who are uh, all in on, right, the influencers, the organizations that were all in on Trump, 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 Trump for everything, um, I don't think they would get the same support. To be honest with you, you don't think there'd just be another Trump, and I don't mean in terms of like who he is, but like just another politician they'd they'd latch on to and be, get paid out to influence for them. No, because Trump is quite literally unique. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Trump. Fair enough. Trump is quite literally unique as someone, because we have to think about it. Trump has been in the media for decades, right? Mm -hmm. He's he's a household name, right? Yeah. The songs made about him, so he's an American icon prior to even becoming president yeah. you get to, like so oh what about if oprah ran or you know or the rock ran or something like that it, it would not be the same yeah uh, trump is very is a, polarizing yeah right trump is very polarizing but he's very unique mm -hmm. in in american culture and that's why he's allowed to get away with a lot of the things that he's able to get away with because he's like your uncle Right. That you've known, you've known your uncle, you know, your uncle's reckless, you know, your uncle is, you know, he talks, he talks shit about people, you know, he's the only one who can say like, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, some really wild stuff about women and everybody would just kind of laugh and keep moving yeah, forward. Yeah, it's Uncle Freddy's. Yeah. 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 He's drunk. <laughs> he's on the sauce again. Yeah, yeah. Right. Exactly. But we saw, actually, we saw that in 2016 
when when Trump was at the debates and Trump was roasting them. Yeah. So the next debate, people's tried to act like Trump and it fell flat. It does not work. You are yeah. not him. He he had a different set of rules in 2016 and oh, it yeah. doesn't work. So I don't I don't think someone can can try to wear the Trump cape and try to do the same thing he did. Yeah. He is quite literally unique. Um, I don't even think we'll see anybody like him in American politics again. I think they're going to mirror it. And, you know, that's why DeSantis is at a very, um, a very large disadvantage, because in order to go up against Trump, it's literally the example of in order to defeat evil, you're going to have to become evil. DeSantis isn't evil. He's not a shit talker. He's a doer. Yeah. He's a principled guy. Um, which I, that's why I preferred him. So Trump definitely has that je ne sais quoi of if you want to fight this guy, you're going to have to get down in the mud and you're going to have to get just as dirty as him, if not dirtier. And it's like, okay, but where is that line? It's like, okay, it's too dirty. You're over the line. Trump doesn't have that. Like Trump doesn't have that. He's, he, he just has this open, infinite left and right lane. If he can do whatever he wants, it's like, ah, it's just Trump. And then half the time, I'm not going to lie, like 2015, 2016, Donald Trump was hilarious. <laughs> because I felt, I felt like he really exemplified the middle, especially the lower economic class that's been wanted to stick the proverbial middle finger to the elites, specifically to the Democrats. So when Trump comes in there and, and he, you know, he, he calls Ted Cruz, why is she so ugly? And it's like, he didn't just say that. It's like, but he's not wrong. And it's, it, it was like, it was like reality television generation birthed a politician that we all were like, oh, world star. And they loved it. Mm -hmm. But even I saw in the future, it's like, okay, there's going to come a time though where you're going to have to rein this in. Like it's gotten you there, back it off, be the leader. And it's like now Trump's being a different version of Trump. And there are still times that he says stuff. It's like, oh my God, it's freaking hilarious. And I know during the primary season, it's a lot of that, that Trumpism is aimed at, at our own. And it's like, okay, man, this is, this is just, it's not doing us any good. But I feel like Trump is definitely unique. And would we ever get another Donald Trump? I agree. I don't think we will. And the other part is, I don't think we need another Donald Trump. We, we honestly, and I hate saying it. I don't hate saying it. I think it's needed. We've got to unite as a country or we are going to fail. We are going to fail. And it will be the American people that ultimately will suffer. Meanwhile, the rich elites they're going to be just fine. It's the middle class. Ultimately, this nation's economy is built on the middle class. If the middle class suffer the most, we're done. We're done. Absolutely. Um, and, I, and I'm much in the same boat where I feel like Donald Trump served a purpose. Mm. And he did not win this last election. And I know the knee-jerk reaction <clears throat> is to say that it was stolen. Yeah. Um, I know way too much to think that it was actually stolen. I'll, oh. I'll, I'll just use a quick set of logic. So we hear people say- um, I'm undecided on this, by the way. I, I used to think it was, I, I just I just don't know. I just don't know. Do Where I do think you stand on any, this? I don't think any election is 100% clean. So I'll just put yeah. that in the forefront. Yeah, but we're talking about enough to lose. Mm -hmm. So we, we recognize, the right is quick to say, this is a Democrat city, Democrat city, right? So where are the places that they were challenging? Philadelphia. So do you think that the election hinged on Philadelphia for the Republicans to win? Of course not. Mm. Right. Do I think that Philadelphia is doing something shady? It's Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, you can't argue. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't I'm, argue I'm that logic. Especially, if it, it. especially <laughs> if it was blacks doing it, especially if it was blacks. Right. right. See, I, just, I just perfectly tied it all in right there. Perfectly tied it in. 
Remember, the same blacks who would never vote Republican, 49%, the election hinged on those black Philadelphia voters. That's right. But there are, there are the arguments to be made of, like, again, like the various 60 different courts that would not even look at the evidence. And they just simply said, you don't have enough evidence here to signify voter fraud to that level. But then you've got the Dinesh D'Souza documentary of the ballot harvesting, the ballot stuffing, and the ballot harvesting again. And in many situations, like, it was legal. We just didn't do it. So right. uh, so expand more for me on why you feel like, because I'm, I'm learning from this. I haven't heard this perspective before. Expand more on me why you don't feel like the election was rigged. I don't, I don't think, I, I won't say it wasn't rigged because okay. who knows, but I don't think it was affected enough for Trump to lose the election. For one, honestly, I personally thought Trump should have won against a guy who did not campaign whatsoever. Mm. Like I thought it should have been a landslide, not a close election. Mm. Um, but if we were just go down to localities and, and this is part of the problem that I see with the Republican party they they don't see it as a numbers game they see it as a money game and so they've they, not this isn't something recent this has been yeah. like this for a long time it's politics they've in general yeah they've abandoned the cities they they do not even they don't attempt they don't try so if you're telling me that the two biggest places are philadelphia and atlanta where that's that was the hinge on the election so in and, and at the same time people will tell me black people vote 90 percent Democrat. So then, and the blackest place on earth is Atlanta. And you thought that Fulton County was it, that you would have, you would have won all of a sudden from a 90% uh, voter mm. turnout towards a Republican party to me, doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Do mm. I think that there was shady stuff that happens? I think there's shady stuff that happens in every election, right? Probably mm. even the election that Trump won, but to think that everything hinged on, cause basically Trump was going after Georgia primarily because of Fulton County. Mm -hmm. That was that was primarily it. They were trying to find enough votes. And I'm sorry, but I just don't see <laughs> I just don't see that there are these hidden <laughs> votes in Atlanta for Donald Trump that, that enough to win the election for the state. I just don't see it whatsoever. If I can um, if I can caveat to that what you just yeah. said, I, I I agree in a sense because and this is not John Burke saying something is right or wrong. I'm just looking at this from like optics outside looking in, if you will. When you've seen the MSM during Trump's presidency, paint him every day, racist, xenophobic, homophobic, all of these different things, which again, I've conceded that he's not. I've never seen mm -hmm. the actual attributes of those types of people showcased in Donald Trump. In fact, I see the opposite. Because I don't believe in accusing people of things they are not. I mean, if you don't like somebody, you should... Be you should have enough emotional intelligence and you know um, intellectual honesty to say these are the reasons I don't agree with you or I don't like you. I don't need to make up this narrative or fabricate these details because honestly, what's the point? If I don't like you, there's a reason. I don't need to make that up. But the media didn't do that. They fabricated so much about Donald Trump. CNN, MSNBC, every ABC, every news outlet out there were they had it in for Donald Trump. So when you've got, like you said, people in the media, their goal is to drive them insane. When you've got a lie that has been perpetuated for four years, nonstop, every news outlet, to include Fox sometimes, might I add, that sure. when people say like, so you think 81 million people voted for Joe Biden? It's like, no, I think 81 million people voted against Donald Trump. 
There is a vast difference there. And it's not me saying this because I just don't like Donald Trump. It's that we've got to identify the things as to why he potentially lost 2020 and reverse course on those to win in 2024. But like I told you before with the inner city ghetto black kid, that we can't have that conversation of how to raise him economically out of that that poverty situation. If we cannot have a consensus to say, look, can we at least agree that the possibility of 2020 maybe not was rigged and we try and identify ways that we could fix and maybe have a better shot in 24? If they're going to sit there and they're just going to, you know, go, you know, left and right and say, no, no, no. It's like, well, then what's going to change? Because if it was rigged before, it'll be rigged again. So maybe we should at least give some credence to the idea that the media manipulation, which might I add, MAGA is now talking about the level of manipulation Taylor Swift is potentially showcasing. <laughs> the same thing is repeating right in front of people. And it's like, but you admit that you think Taylor Swift is a psyop who's going to leverage more voters towards Joe Biden. But for the last four years of the Trump presidency, you think the media didn't do the exact same thing? It doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. I and when they when people hear my positioning of saying, I don't know if it was stolen or not, they instantly equate that, well, you just don't like Donald Trump. Therefore, you think it wasn't rigged. It's like, look, I've got to see the proof, man. I've got to see the proof. And if I'm not seeing the proof, and the proof in some situations is like, look, these court cases are not going before judges because they say you don't have enough. But some of these judges were Trump appointees. So it's like I'm not trying to pick a side on this one because I like or hate the guy. I'm saying I want to go where the truth is. And if we can unite on this and say this is the truth and this is how we fix it, that's what the goal should be for. And I'll close it with this. That's why I feel a lot of voters in 2024 are tired of the stolen election rhetoric because it's like, yeah. okay, we're done with this. We need to move on because a lot of people I feel are starting to kind of get the feeling of they were lied to about that. Yes. Um, and I'm, I'm one of them. I entertained it. Because I'm just like everybody else. If you're making claims that something was stolen, let's let's see what's going on. Um, and I, to me, it just seemed over a period of time like a lot of hot air. I remember um, the Kraken was supposed to be the game changer, riddled with <laughs> spelling errors and, uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. just accusations, but no no proof, no witnesses. Yeah. You know, just like it was just complete garbage and mm -hmm. she ruined her reputation because of that um same thing with giuliani giuliani had a pretty decent reputation despite him being trump's lawyer for a bit mm -hmm. cleaned up new york took on violent mob crime and i mean he did he was phenomenal and look at him now right. it's, it's sad to see that yeah and 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 i i i i like i like giuliani i think he's a he's a nice per i've uh, talked to him i think he's a nice person mm -hmm. um in general, but I just think that this entire thing, even down to the, my pillow guy, completely ruined his his economic situation. Going after this whole Dominion thing, and they're getting sued to oblivion. Everybody is Fox News is like, mm -hmm. and I'm just thinking to myself, if all this stuff is happening, it's probably because it's bullshit. Yeah. Like there, there Tater Sal so in the chat mentioned Twitter files, and I think Twitter files when that was released, actually advocates more to the point I just made as far as media, media manipulation of the press, oh, yeah, yeah. of so, social media more so than anything. Because like, do you feel more people get their news from social media or the actual news outlets themselves? I think it depends on the generation. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I so think let's say boomers make up the vast percentage of the majority of voters in the GOP. So would you think they probably get most of their information from the actual MSM outlets themselves? Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. For okay. sure. Mm -hmm. um, like anytime I do... TV, 
everybody's over the age of 55 that reaches out to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it, it depends on the age group for, mm -hmm. for the most part. But see, but that's the thing that we can talk about. We can mm -hmm. talk about media bias. We can talk about narratives. We can talk about these things. The right has a media, you know, that they can utilize and they can break through. The problem is that they're not trying to. Um, you know, they're just resting on Fox News will rescue us one day by telling the truth and no one can agree on anything. Um, Fox News doesn't I, care about the truth because one day they're hot for Trump, next day they're cold for Trump. It's the clicks. It, yeah. I feel like they exemplify a very common example in today's political spectrum of there's going to be a lot of fence sitters. And this is how it's been throughout time, throughout history of mankind, specifically in like monarchies during like the, the Renaissance period. There are going to be so many fence sitters that are going to watch to see which way is the political wind blowing because ultimately all they really care about, it's not about truth. It's not about principles. It's where is the majority going to go because I want to be with them. We right. saw that with Glenn Beck in 2015, 2016, how we went from Donald Trump supporters of brown shirts to now a MAGA baby. It's like, bro, what happened? Like, what happened here? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, at the end of the day, here's what it comes down to. Most voters are not that politically engaged like we are. Yeah, yeah I agree. And, you know, they're working a nine to five. They, don't, they have a limited amount of time to understand what's going on. They might turn on the TV when the debates are coming up to, to listen to the sound bites. Mm -hmm. Um but they go off of gut. <clears throat> they go off of uh, the little bit of information that, that they were they able to consume. To, yeah, yeah. And I will say it does not look good when you are getting sued left and right, when you're being indicted for criminal charges for RICO. Like none of that looks good mm. to someone who is probably a swing voter, yeah. relatively independent, open to voting for either party, which, by the way, exists. People like to pretend like these people don't exist. Yeah. Um, so you have to ask yourself, does that look good to these people? And it doesn't. It really doesn't. And mm. I think uh, one last thing I'll say is I think a really clear sign was in New Hampshire. And the, the amount of people who were independents who voted for Nikki Haley was completely lopsided um, from Trump. I think it was like 70% of the people who voted for her were swing voters or independents. I think it was listed as something like that. Whereas 70% of the voters for Trump were Republicans, right? And so, okay, that's for that one primary, but you have to think to yourself, in a national election, is that a sign that he is losing the middle? Because you need the middle to win. You have yeah. all these swing states filled with people who are willing to go either direction. Um, are you going to encourage people just staying home because they don't like the options that happens? People are like, why should I even get up? You know, I only pay attention to politics, yeah. you know, 10 times a year. Why should I even get up to, to go and vote? Mm -hmm. That's a real thing that, mm -hmm. that, um, that's, hence why polling, that's why people resort to polls so much, because again, it's, it's, it's a voter behavioral, a manipulator, if you think about it, because what you literally just expressed is like, if I'm a Republican mm -hmm. living in a, in a very deep blue area of California, what the hell's the point? Now, if I'm a swing voter and want to say, for example, these rural areas that's kind of purplish, I'm going to look at the polls. You know, it's like, oh, right. well, it's looking like, you know, Biden's getting up. I just, yeah, what's the point in even going vote? And it's like, when you do that, that's why I tell people, regardless of what the polls say, go vote, go vote. Doesn't matter what the polls say. Yeah. And I, and, and, my friend who's out in California, she's like, I cannot tell you how many Democrats I know who want to vote for a Republican, but they just don't want to vote for Trump. 
I've heard that a lot. I've heard that a lot. I so, really I felt mean, DeSantis was the best option in regards to policy, but he didn't run a very good campaign. And a lot of people are saying he's running a shadow campaign right now, which I don't know if there's any <laughs> truth to that. Like, I was like, I don't think he is. I think he's done. There's a lot of people that are just, you know, they're just hardcore. And I get it. Like, the same with the Trump supporters. Like, no, he's really still the president. He's going to, it's the QAnon nonsense. Like, he's actually going to arrest <laughs> Joe Biden on the inauguration. Like, bro, you got to stop drinking that Kool-Aid, man. Like, I fought that stuff for four years, brother. Four years I combated this stuff on social media. I'm like, you people, like, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, you, it's like Trump's coming back. Did you see that one video of the dude's literally in his truck pulled over? It's like, say me, President Trump. I'm praying to you right now. Please. I'm like, bro. Like, I actually feel bad for you because you have been manipulated to such a level that you genuinely think what you're doing resonates with God. And I'm like, yeah. wow, wow, man, that's that's crazy. Yeah, the QAnon stuff, if you think about it, and I, I was thinking about this one day and just hit me. QAnon is the Nigerian scams of politics. Oh, yes. Like, it's the same people who would fall for the Nigerian scam would fall for this stuff. And I'm just like, man, that that's easily photoshopped. Like, that's terrible proof. Like, that doesn't mean anything. Oh no, it's gonna happen. <laughs> I, I there's one person who texts me stuff randomly all the time, and I just ignore it. But they they're like, uh, Trump's going to become president next week. The military is doing it yeah. on Wednesday. <laughs> they'll be specific. They'll be like Wednesday. I was like, okay, bro. It's Barnum theory. It's it's the Barnum that I talked about on the show. It's it's the horoscope styled thing of I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch out a generalized political prediction, and then if it comes true yesterday or tomorrow or in a year from now, I can say, see, I called that. It's also like the Nostradamus effect or the Alex Jones effect, <laughs> if you will. I can politically prophesy if I've got a show built around prophesying or politically speculating about a thousand different instances, and twenty percent of them come true. And of that 20%, there were some major things I got right. Well, people are going to intend to focus on that and say, he got this right. But what you're not focusing on is everything else he got wrong, which if you're going by percentiles, he's gotten a lot wrong. So right. naturally, and I'm not saying he's not getting some things right. A broken clock is going to be right twice a day. And every year, you know, even a blind squirrel gets a nut from time to time. But good grief. It's like, I'm, I feel like I could never take seriously somebody that would legitimately sit there and say that Sandy Hook was a false flag operation and they were all crisis actors. I'm like, there are literally dead children. There are dead children. You know, forget the gun violence crime debate or argument. It's like, what you're doing right here is stupid. And this is the biggest reason why the right gets associated with whack jobs like you, not you, Alex Jones. And it's like, I'm tired of it. And so we get painted with that broad brush. And that's why it's like when Alex gets some things right, naturally his loyalist fans are going to come out and say like, oh, look, what he got right. It's like, yes, fair enough. But look what he got wrong that cost him a billion dollars. It's like yeah. we've, we've got to understand that these political prophets, they don't exist. They don't know. They're speculating. And when you treat them as if they are the Messiah, it's like you really need to back off. It, it's, it's just it's, it's so outlandish to me. But that's what QAnon brought out in a lot of people. Yeah. To me, it's like um, draft pick. Uh, you know, you watch Political ESPN, drama, like, yeah. oh yeah, fourth round, 20th pick. This kid is special. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, but they never have to go back and address it. They're no. like, yeah, yeah, talk to the coach. This is a special kid. You know, he's going to sneak up. Never hear of this guy ever again. Doesn't even make a scene. They, it's true. They say it about every person. They find something positive to say about every person. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah this is a sleeper right here. This is yeah. going to <laughs> 
And yeah, that, that's actually, there's so much truth to that because nobody's literally going to sit there and dissect their call play by play by play. It's like, bro, you've got like a 95 percentile of being wrong, but all right. it takes is to get that one thing right that potentially goes viral. Boom. You're the new QAnon. You're the new, yeah, bro. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what yeah. he's talking about. Yeah. Every it's great time. to see it. Adam, we're hitting 100, 100, Jesus, good Lord. It's Friday. We're hitting an hour and 42 minutes, my man. We need to wrap this thing up. Dude, I have not had this much fun interviewing somebody in a very long time. I, I need to get you back on the show way more often, brother. I love listening yeah. to your analysis because you, you have a very, very interesting way of looking, a very logical way. I like that. Tell everybody where they can find you at. Uh, Twitter, at wrong underscore speak. And uh, my Substack adambcoleman.substack.com. Um, and definitely check out Wrong Speak Publishing. We take article submissions. Uh, so if you want to write something, please send it in. Submissions at wrongspeak.net. Um, and you can check out wrongspeakpublishing.com. Check out our articles. We have news articles now. Um, you know, we're getting into the journalism aspect and we take opinion pieces all the time. That's awesome, man. Bro, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been an absolute pleasure. Likewise, man. You be safe, my man. It's great talking. Anything to, to leave the audience with? Um, don't fall for the foolery. Don't fall for the tricks. Think for yourself. Love it. Brother, you stay blessed. Have a wonderful day. You too. All right, folks, that wraps it up for the All-American Savage Show podcast today, this beautiful Friday. Don't forget, we're running some deals and some specials right now. Uh, here we go. We've got uh, the Refer a Friend on ShellshockCBD.com. You'll get $20 off, and you get a $20 coupon on a successful friend referral to ShellshockCBD.com. If you go to the website, you scroll down to the bottom, you'll see what I'm talking about there. We've got a, uh, we're running a sale right now. We're doing the Pink Lemonade. What do you, you like the pink lemonade Delta eight gummies? We got them on sale today and today only today and today only. Don't forget to check out johnburke.com for the Eagles, not chicken shirt. We are putting in the order next week. If you want to grab yourself one of those funny t-shirts, use code. Thanks 30. I'm sorry. It's the cotton candy halos until midnight tonight. Thanks 30 for 30% off of the cotton candy halo Delta eight gummies that are get you baked, baked. What are you waiting for? Jump on this. Jump on it. We'll be back Monday. We've got a special guest on Monday. We've got some, we've got some guests lined up next week. We're really excited for this. So we love you. We appreciate you. I hope you have a very, very wonderful weekend. And until next time, you stay savage, America.